Psalms, the 57th chapter, the 7th verse. The sweet singer of Israel there makes the cry or the declaration. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. You know, I think sometimes we read the Bible. But sometimes we're trying to say, well, gee, can I actually get on a program where I can read through the whole Bible in a year? And so we read certain numbers of chapters and verses a day so that we can start January the 1st with Genesis 1-1 and end the year with the 22nd chapter of Revelation. And as we read the Bible, we see a white piece of paper and we see black printing on it, or red if we've got one of those fancy red letter editions. And we read what's there. But we don't give proper thought, and we don't give proper consideration, and we don't spend time meditating on God's Word. And we miss some of the greatest lessons to strengthen us, encourage us, and edify us as we travel along life's pathway. What did David say there? David said, my heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. When David talks about his heart being fixed in that passage, he's not talking about this muscle, this pump that sends the blood as it courses through the veins of my body. He's not even talking about the heart that he talks about in Psalm 42 when he's talking about the very finest of the herd of the red deer. But when David says, my heart is fixed, he's talking about the heart that is the mind of man. He said, my heart is fixed. My mind is made up. I have reached a decision. I have decided on a course of action, and here's what I'm going to do. He says, I am going to honor God, and I am going to serve God. Folks, if there has ever been a time in the history of our world, if there has ever been a time in the history of our nation, if there has ever been a time in the history of the Lord's church, That we needed to have fixed hearts, fixed minds, and determined wills, it's right now. We need our hearts to be fixed. We need our minds to be made up. We need to decide on the course of action. That regardless of the consequences, regardless of what it's going to cost me personally, I'm going to honor and I'm going to serve God. And people are going to know that I belong to God. Kind of like a story I read one time that came out of the Civil War. There was a very 
outspoken elderly grandmother in one of the southern states. That Sherman was marching toward the sea going through there. And as the Yankee soldiers came close to her little homestead, she walked out on the porch with a broom. And she started shaking that broom at those Yankee soldiers. And somebody said, Grandma, what good do you think you're going to do with a broom? She said, at least they know whose side I'm on. Well, folks, sometimes people today need to know who's on the, whose side we're on. They need to know that whether or not we're on the Lord's side. David said, my heart is fixed. You know, when I think about a man with a fixed heart, a man that is determined to do the will of God no matter what the cost, I think about the man we've been looking at in our Sunday morning Bible class, Job. When you open the Bible to the book of Job, it tells us that Job was a man that was perfect. He was a man that was upright. He was a man that feared God and a man that hated evil. And the record tells us there was a day that the sons of God came together. And Satan, the accuser, was among them. And God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the world. He's a man perfect and upright. He's one that fears God and he hates evil. And the devil said, oh yes. Job serves you, God. Job loves you, God. But why wouldn't he? You've built a hedge around Job and everything he has on every side. You've blessed Job. You've increased his substance. Certainly Job loves you. Certainly Job serves you. But the devil said, I'll tell you what you do. You do something to Job. You reach out your hand and you touch Job and God, Job is going to curse you to your face. Now folks, Job, in addition to fearing God and hating evil, Job was one of the wealthiest of all the men of the Near East. His fortune included 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels. 500 yoke of oxen, that's a thousand oxen if you're counting. And 500 female donkeys. Oh my, just think of all the wool that he got from those 7,000 sheep. All the wool that he got to sell and the wool that he got to weave into cloth and the prosperity that was his from the wool of those 7,000 sheep, not to mention the food that they provided. 3,000 camels, folks. Job had one of the biggest truck lines that existed in the ancient Near East with all those camels to carry products and goods from one town and one city to the other. Those oxen to be out in the fields breaking up the ground to sow his crops. And 500 female donkeys. You know one of the greatest delicacies of the ancient Near East at that time was donkey milk? And with 500 female donkeys, old Job had donkey milk for himself and all of his family, and, and he had a thriving milk business, I'd bet you. Job was a wealthy man. If Job was our neighbor, we'd be envious of everything this man had. And God said to the accuser, to the devil, 
He fears me. He hates evil. But the devil said, oh, well, sure. Job loves you, God. Job serves you, but you've, you've blessed Job. You've increased his substance. He's got all this. He's got a household of servants, seven sons and three daughters, but you do something to Job. So God says to the devil, you remember the story. If you've been in Bible class, you already know some of this. Just a little plug there, you know, just a little commercial. Devil, you can do what you want to to Job, but don't lay a hand on Job personally. So do you remember what happened? There was a day that Job's sons and his daughters were at his eldest son's house. They were having a big party, a big celebration. And a messenger comes to Job and said, Job, the oxen were out in the field. They were plowing. And the donkeys were over in the next pasture feeding beside them. And the Sabians came down. And they stole them, Job, and they killed the servants. They, they, with the edge of the sword, they slain all your servants. I'm the only one I managed to escape, Job, to come to tell you about it. Now you talk about trouble on top of trouble. While he was still talking, another servant comes running in and said, Job, the fire of God came down from heaven and it burned up all the sheep, and it burned up all the servants, and I'm the only one that escaped to come and tell you about it. And while he's talking, another one comes and says, Job, the Chaldeans formed three different bands, and the Chaldeans came down, and they carried away all of the camels, and they killed all the servants, and I'm the only one that's still alive. And before he, while he was yet speaking, it says, another servant came and said, Job, your sons and daughters were having a party at your oldest son's house. And the wind came down. The tornado came, Job. And it lifted the house and it fell on them and they're all dead. And the servants are dead. And Job, I'm the only one that escaped to come and tell you about it. He's lost 7,000 sheep. He's lost 3,000 camels. He's lost 500 yoke of oxen. He's lost 500 female donkeys. He's lost all the servants he had but four if you're counting. He's lost seven sons, and he's lost three daughters. You know what he did? I'm going to read it to you. Then Job arose, and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down on the ground, and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord give, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. His mind was made up. He had reached a decision. He had decided on a course of action. He was going to honor God. And he was going to serve God. Well, there comes a time. You think, well, my goodness, that's enough, isn't it? Well, no. There comes a time when the sons of God come together again. And once again, the devil's among them. And once again, Job becomes the topic of conversation. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the world. He's perfect. He's upright. He fears God. He hates evil. And he looks at the devil and he said, and he still retains his integrity, even though you've moved me against him without cause. And the devil says, well, yeah. But I tell you what, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. You do something to Job. 
Can you imagine that? Everything he has has been taken away and the devil has the audacity to act like nothing's happened to him. But the devil says, you do something to Job and he'll curse you to your face. So God gives the devil the green light again. He says, you can do anything you want to to Job, but spare his life. And now Job's covered in boils. Sores from the crown of his head to the sole of his foot. It tells us that he was out and he went out and he sat down among the ashes. Can you imagine that? Sitting down among the ashes, that doesn't mean they emptied out the fireplace and he went and sat by it. He's sitting at what you and I'd call today the city dump. He's sitting among the ashes at the city dump. There's broken pottery and broken things around him. And he sits there and he's got these scabbed over running sores all over his body from the top of his head to the sole of his foot. Like I said in Bible class, some of them, if you look close, some of them got little worms crawling in and out of them. And he's sitting there. And the only relief he gets is to scrape his body with a piece of broken pottery. And his wife comes up and said, Job, it's not worth it. Give it up, Job. Curse God and die. And Job says, you talk like the foolish women speak. You talk like those that don't know God. You talk like those that have never heard of God. And listen to what he said. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? And here it is in verse 10. And in all this, did not Job sin with his lips? Because Job's heart was fixed. Job's mind was made up. Job had made the decision he was going to honor and serve God. There was a young man one time by the name of Joshua who along with Caleb and ten others were sent by Moses to spy out the promised land. Well, those twelve spies came back. And when they came back, the majority report from ten of those spies was, it's a great land, it's a land that flows with milk and honey, but we saw the giants there, the sons of Anak, and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't take the land. Ten of them brought back an evil report, said there's no way we can do it. This young man named Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb said, let's go up at once and take it. But the majority report was listened to, and the children of Israel shrank back, and they didn't try to go up and take the promised land. So they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. They had to let a whole generation leave their dead carcass in the wilderness before they could enter the promised land. And Moses died on the top of Mount Pisgah. And Joshua took over as the leader of the people of God. And as Joshua neared the end of his career, he called all the tribes of Israel to him. And he told all of the tribes of Israel then, he told them and he rehearsed in their ear every good thing that God had ever done for them. And 
Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. Joshua made the same thing, statement that David made in Psalm 57. He asked him, he says, choose you this day whom you'll serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The Bible is filled with examples of men like David and men like Job and men like Joshua. Men that were determined whatever the cost that they were going to do the will of God. Men whose hearts were fixed, whose minds were made up, who had decided on the course of action that God was going to be the supreme ruler of their lives. I think of Daniel. He refused to eat the king's dainties, as it were. He refused to eat the unclean food that was served to him by the king. But Darius the king put three presidents over his kingdom. And it tells us that Daniel was preferred. Well, because Daniel was preferred, the others were jealous. And they knew that because of Daniel's character and because of Daniel's way of life, the only way they'd ever find anything against Daniel is if they found something against Daniel concerning Daniel and his God. And they knew what Daniel's custom was of praying to God. And so they persuaded Darius. They appealed to his vanity. They said, Darius, Darius, we want you to make an edict that anyone that bows down to the for the next 30 days to anyone other than you is going to be thrown at the den of lions. Well, now Daniel's in a real pickle, isn't he? He's one of the presidents, one of the three presidents over the land. And if he bows down to anyone other than Darius for three days, he's going to be thrown in the lion's den. There was no hesitation on Daniel's part. There was no wavering. Daniel went to his room, he opened his doors, and he kneeled down and prayed toward Jerusalem. You know what else it says? As had been his custom before time. Because he had made up his mind long years ago that he was going to serve God. But then you come over to the New Testament. And you see a man we're first introduced to in Acts chapter 7. Stephen. One of the servants there at the church in Jerusalem. One of the men that had been chosen to oversee the distribution of food to the needy widows. Stephen's being stoned to death. And it tells us that as he was being stoned, those that were doing the stoning laid their clothes down, their cloaks down at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. And then it goes on and tells us that Saul was breathing out threatenings and slaughter to the church. That Saul was making havoc of the church. We see him as he was on his way to Damascus. And that bright light shone around him and knocked him to his knees and he lifted up his eyes. He said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. And he said, What would you have me to do, Lord? He said, go in the city and it'll be told you what you should do there. Well, he went into the city and the preacher by the name of Ananias came to him. 
And Ananias restored his sight. He was given food. And Ananias said to him, Saul, why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? And as Saul tells Agrippa, he said, I was not disobedient to that. And Saul of Tarsus became the great apostle Paul. He went on three missionary journeys. He preached the gospel and established the gospel and established the church on the continent of Europe. And Paul established the church at Philippi. A church that had its beginning while Paul was in jail there. He and Silas were in prison. At midnight they were singing and praying and there was a great earthquake. The prison doors were opened. Their shackles were removed. And the jailer comes in. He's going to take his own life. And oh, don't, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And he fell down at the feet of Paul and Silas. He says, what must I do to be saved? And they started preaching to him. And after the preaching had been finished, he took them. He washed their stripes. He said, what must I do to be saved? They took him the same hour of the night. They baptized him and all of his house. And from that jailer and from a seller of purple in Philippi named Lydia and from a woman that was a soothsayer that Paul had cast out her evil spirit. That was the beginning of the church at Philippi. A church that was very near and very dear to Paul's heart. And Paul wrote him a letter. And in Philippians 3 and verse 13 he said, Forgetting the things that are behind. Oh my, and Paul had so much to forget. He said, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forth to the things that are before. I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I've made up my mind, Paul said. The past is behind me. And with my face toward the future, I press on toward the prize for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. My heart is fixed, Paul said. My mind is made up. I'm reaching for it and pressing on for that prize. That's why as he came to the end of his life, he wrote to his son in the gospel, Timothy. And he says, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the God, the righteous judge, will give me in that day. And not me only, but all them that love his appearing. David said, my heart is fixed. Joshua said, choose ye this day whom you'll serve. Paul said, I press toward the prize for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. How about you this morning? Is your heart fixed on God? Is it fixed on the prize that Jesus Christ has promised? Is Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life? Jesus is not Lord and Master of all of your life right now. He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. 
Maybe you've never made him Lord of your life. Maybe you need this morning to come in simple trusting faith. Repenting of everything that's sin in your life and confessing the name of Jesus Christ before men and be buried in the waters of baptism for the washing away of past sin. Fix your mind this morning on serving God. Maybe you've done that in days past and gone, but you haven't lived God's kind of life. Your heart hasn't really been fixed on serving God, and other folks have seen that. You need to come back.